Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. John 3.16 reminds us that for God so loved the world that he gave us his only monogenic son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And that word love is essential because God loves us. And he further reminds us that because he loves us, uh, he chastises us as a father. It is God's desire that we live in peace, that we experience joy, and that we do things that doesn't harm us in terms of our actions, in terms of the way we think, in terms of uh, our life's passions. God loves us so much that he put rules in place that we should stay within those parameters as best as we can through the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing, of course, that we are living in a fallen world. So today, I wanted to continue our, uh, our discussion on sexual purity, part two. And as I reminded us last time, we had the privilege of Brother Joe Dallas, who is an author, and he's the program director of Genesis Biblical Counseling, uh, located in Tustin, California, uh, Brother Dallas is an author also, and he's written books such as Desires and Conflict, uh, When Hom- Homosexuality Hits Home, Five Steps to Breaking Up or, or Breaking Free from Porn, as well as many other books that uh, you should look at in terms of his ministry. Uh, Brother Dallas, uh, uh, welcome to Sound Reasoning. Oh, thank you for having me back, Perseus. It's good talking with you again. Thank you. So I started the program by reminding our listeners that God is not a God that's just sitting there saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, uh, without any reasoning. Uh, God loves us, and he sets some parameters. So in this society that we're living in, we see that there is a predominant overtone leaning toward do what you want to do. And in light of... uh, the news and things that's going on uh, as it relates to uh, not just homosexuality, but as it relates to gender issues or gender identity issues, how should we as Christians respond, especially uh, Bruce Jenner uh, transitioning to become uh, whatever he feels as though he needs to become? Can you uh, help us deal with, with these issues? That is such an important question, Perseus. And you, I think, laid the foundation for the answer when you quoted the verse we all know, but I think need to revisit regularly. God so loved the world. A primary evangelical responsibility we have as believers is to remind non-believers that we have a creator. So the sentence begins with God, who so loved the world. And that should be the starting point for determining what is right or wrong or normal versus abnormal. We have a creator, 
and our Creator created us with specific purposes. I do think, Perseus, a high percentage of non-believers who we are trying to reason with will accept the idea that if you have a creation, it is at least logical to assume that there is a Creator. Hmm. And it is further logical to assume that the Creator had intentions in mind. Generally, when we create anything, it is with a purpose in mind. Therefore, uh, the Creator has purposes for His creation, and those purposes are frequently self-evident. And that's an important point uh, that we can stress when we're reasoning with people. The self-evident purpose of a hammer. I don't think you need to argue too persuasively about that one. Mm -hmm. Or the self-evident purpose of a drill or a saw. Now, our anatomy testifies to purposes, doesn't it? Mm. How we procreate, how our bodies are fashioned, what the most logical, obvious form of mating the Creator had uh, is all self-evident. Right. And therefore, we can point to self-evident evidence of created intent. And I think then we go to love. God so loved the world. That is to say, yes, the world has fallen short of what the Creator intended, and that brings us back to the cross, doesn't it? Right. It tells me that when Bruce Jenner says, call me Caitlin, he is evidencing the fallen nature. And so the real problem is not that Bruce Jenner decided he was a woman. The problem is that he is outside the Creator's will, as most people are. People who are not born again um, are, are dead, which is a much bigger problem than they being homosexual or transsexual or fornicators or drunkards. Mm-hmm. Those are all symptomatic of the dead state. Mm-hmm. So it brings us back to the cross. If I were talking right now to a transsexual person, uh, Perseus, I probably wouldn't be going on and on about the wrongness of transsexualism. I would be talking about salvation, because that really Amen. is the issue. Amen. The person, If the person is lost in sin, we have to start with the cross and work our way down then to, and your Creator will require you, if you accept His gift of grace, to live under His Lordship. I mean, good heavens, we don't want to preach salvation without our own cross. We want to preach both the cross of Jesus Christ and His command that we, if we are to follow Him, must take up our cross as well. And for many people, that will be a heavy cross. I had to face that myself when I repented of homosexuality back in 1984. I was very aware that I had deeply ingrained feelings and I couldn't just change them. And when I repented, God made it very clear to me, Joe, live in obedience, and I will give you what you need to live in obedience, but don't try to rewrite my words Mm. to accommodate your passions. If you want to follow me, let's get our role straight. I'm the Lord, you're the servant. Mm. Thank you so much for that testimony. And how do we, or how should we respond uh, to those uh, who claim that uh, they're born innately uh, uh, to love the same sex within the context, again, of love? There are two important answers to that, uh, Perseus. One is that, in all fairness, at least as as of this day you and I are speaking in 2016, there is still not solid evidence 
that people are born homosexual. There are many studies that have suggested the possibility. I found it interesting that just last week, John Hopkins uh, University Medical Center released a detailed report debunking the old whole idea that people are born uh, homosexual or that transgenderism is normal. And they're certainly not a conservative right-wing Christian organization. Right. It's a medical center. Right. Uh, however, the real issue to me is not whether or not people are born homosexual. I don't think they are, but even if it could be proven that they are, to me the question is, well, hey, do we determine that something is normal because it is inborn? Because if that's the case, we do know that a lot of good research indicates that addictive tendencies can be inborn, that depression can be an inborn condition. Uh, there are some studies showing that uh, violent tendencies may possibly go all the way back to the womb. Mm. Now, good grief, are we going to start legitimizing things just because they are inborn, or can right. we not admit that we are a fallen race? Right. That there are things that have gone wrong, not by the Creator's design, but because of human decisions to sin, for which we are still reaping the bad consequences. And so to me... The question is not, are gay people born that way, but rather, do we determine what is right or wrong by the way people are born or by the thing itself? And that's where I think we need to keep the discussion. So transitioning from that and also building on it, how should we then, um, because what I'm seeing is too many of uh, believers uh, buying into this argument of relativism, meaning that, um, if, if this person says, uh, I was born that way, you need to accept me that way, that God made me that way, hey, how should we respond to those type of arguments? I think we have to make a distinction between I was born this way and God made me this way. Because I don't believe for a minute that God made a physical abnormality or a birth defect or an inborn desire that would take somebody contrary to his will. I don't think God had anything to do with that. I think that's a result of being born uh, with a sin nature and being born imperfect, and thereby uh, we may have any number of inborn characteristics that God never intended. This is why we, we really need to get back to this uh, idea about created intent. If our Creator had intentions, did our Creator ever spell them out, and if so, where can we find them? This takes us back to the Scripture, because, Perseus, it makes sense to me, and I think to most people, that when you start something, you have some kind of detailed instructions as how to want, how, how you want it to operate. So I believe one of the primary reasons God inspired the authors of Scripture was so that you and I wouldn't have to sit around here speculating as to what he wanted from us. Right. So if I'm going to determine whether or not something is right or wrong, I have to look at the document the Creator inspired, not at what I may or may not have been born with, but rather what has my Creator said about those desires. And that's how I judge whether they are desires I should yield to or desires I should resist. I appreciate that. And then you also highlighted the fact uh, from Romans 3.23 that says that if all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, 
So at this point, we're talking about homosexuality, but as you inferred, uh, we all have sins that we need to grapple grapple with and not just um, highlight homosexuality as the super sin. So I appreciate that. Exactly right. My next question uh, deals with a term that we used earlier, and that's dealing with the whole issue of the transgender. Can you explain what it means to be transgender? I'll give it a shot because uh, words change quickly, don't they? They do. Um, But as of this point, uh, Perseus, transgender is a rather broad umbrella term covering a number of things like transsexualism or gender dysphoria, which both mean the same thing, the uh, deeply ingrained feeling that you are trapped in, in the wrong body. That would be gender dysphoria or transsexualism. That is one form of transgender. Another form of transgender would be the guy who uh, is a drag queen, likes to dress up as a woman and do a stage show. Or it might be someone who just doesn't fit what we call the gender norm, someone who acts far outside the mainstream of what we expect of a male or a female. The term transgender would cover all of those. And basically, it's becoming a term um, somewhat like the term gay, in that it is not only identifying a type of behavior and condition, but it's also being used as a legitimizing term almost like the term male or female or African-American or Hispanic or Caucasian, those are all morally neutral identifying terms. And I think transgender is being lumped in with those other terms so that if you object to transgenderism, nowadays that puts you in the same category as someone who believes that one race is superior to the other or that one gender is superior to the other. It's a very clever move Mm -hmm. that's been made, especially this past decade, to convince people that if you morally oppose sexual deviations from the norm, you are, in essence, a bigot in the same category as a member of the KKK or the American Nazi Party. So then, if we follow this argument, wouldn't that include uh, practices such as bestiality and, 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 and polygamy? Eventually, it would have to. Um, I think we've seen how this plays out. Introduce something into the public awareness that challenges their thinking of what is normal. Repeat the thing often enough so that it loses its shock value. Tell people that the experts say this new thing is normal, and tell people in general that if you object to this new thing, you're prejudiced. That worked very well for the gay rights movement. It's working very well for the transgender movement. I have no doubt that it will work well for the polygamous movement uh, once transgenderism is legitimized. We don't hear a lot about bestiality today, so it may seem very far-fetched to think we could ever legitimize that. But Perseus, look at where we are now. Let's ask ourselves if 30 years ago we'd ever be here. Of course not. I mean, everything you and I are talking about right now, 30 years ago, would have seemed extremely far-fetched to even be discussing. But what was unthinkable three decades ago is business as usual today. 
So how can uh, we have numbers numbers of listeners? How can we show compassion without compromise? You know, there is no compassion and compromise, really, is there? I, I think this is something we've we, we've sort of set up a false choice. I often hear people, well, God, say, "Gosh, I'm torn between truth and love." Well, now wait a minute. <laughs> There's no dividing those. If if you're not speaking in love, you're not exemplifying truth, and right. if you're not speaking truth, you're certainly not loving a person. Right. I think the compassion without compromise was exemplified most basically by Jesus when he talked to a woman taken in adultery, mm. and he said two things the church needs to say to the transgender, to the homosexual, to the fornicator, to the prideful guy, or to the big mouth. Neither do I condemn you. Mm-hmm. Go and sin no more. <laughs> I want you reconciled to me. I want you to live and I also want you to realize you were not created for that, therefore stop doing it. Those are both equally true. I love you, and I call you to turn from that. And what parent hasn't said that to a child <laughs> at some time? And, and what reason would say that that's a statement of hatred? Clearly it's not. Thank you for that. So how can we, based on your experience, how can we as local churches... Um, set ourselves up for the 21st century to deal with people dealing with their uh, sexual uh, struggles uh, with compassion, but yet um, teach them not to sin anymore? Yes, Perseus, let's keep three P's in mind, three things starting with the letter P that I think are important. First, our positions. Let's clarify what our positions are and not be timid about that. I'm very discouraged by how timid the modern church is becoming in simply stating where we stand. Right. You can't be a steward of truth if you're going to be timid about speaking truth, because who's going to hear you or understand what you're saying? So we need to clarify our positions. They must be biblically based, of course. So we have to clarify as churches where we stand. And more than ever, I think we're going to have to recognize that'll be the responsibility of the church of the next century, because the world does want to know, hey, we believe this is normal. Do you? And if you don't, why not? I mean, those are questions we're going to have to answer. Position, that has to be clarified. Then policies. What do we do when someone within our own congregation is violating those positions? We'll have to revisit the idea of What are we expecting of our members? What are we expecting of our staff? And then finally, practices. We have positions, we have policies, we have practices. That is, in our church life, do we provide practices to help people overcome the sins we say are in violation of our positions? If we say we're against abortion, okay, do we help women who are in crisis pregnancy? Do we walk alongside them to do the right thing? If we say we are against pornography, okay, then do we have practices in our churches to help people overcome the use of pornography? And the same is true of homosexuality and transgenderism. If we say our position is that we believe you are born male or female and you cannot change that, will we walk alongside 
the man who comes into our church and he has been castrated and he's had surgery done and he's lived as a woman for the past five years and he says, okay, I see that was wrong. Now what do I do? Will we disciple that man? Will we walk with him? Or are are the men in our church going to feel like, boy, that guy's weird. I don't want to go near him. He's still very effeminate. This is going to be the acid test as to whether or not we want to practice our positions. But Perseus, if not now, when? I think we're way behind on these issues. We're playing catch-up now. Amen. And I think ministries such as yours and uh, the work that you're doing for the Lord is, is very necessary in terms of serving as a resource for the local churches so uh, they can get the training that we need so we can better help our community and our congregation. So, Brother Dallas, thank you so much. We are praying for you and uh, that Lord continue to use your ministry to bless others. Thank you so much, Perseus. Always good talking with you. Praise God. We'll be in touch. That was Brother Joe Dallas, and we thank him uh, for his ministry of dealing with uh, Christians that are struggling uh, with a variety of issues. And again, uh, we pray that this segment, this episode was edifying and has enriched you to strive further uh, to know Christ more intimately. Colossians 3.17 tells us, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So whatever we're doing, We need to make sure that it is pleasing to God. So if you're single, we ask that you live according to the uh, precepts of God the Father. If you're married, we hope that you keep yourself and keep the covenant that you've made between you and your wife in the presence of the Lord. And if you're a parent, we pray that you raise your children up in the admonition of the Lord. And we thank you for listening to Sound Reasoning. We appreciate your partnership. We appreciate the prayers. And as always, uh, please continue to pray for us as we educate, train, and empower Christians in sharing and defending the tenets of the word. And if you are touched by the Holy Spirit, we invite your donations uh, to this radio ministry. And we thank you so much for all that you all do in support of our ministry And please log on to our website, srministries.org, www.srministries.org, where you can obtain resources and send in your questions. We love you all so much. May God continue to bless you for standing up for the truth that he has deposited to all of humanity. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. 
Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy messages has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. A powerful prayer life does not require hiking a mountain to be able to hear from God. God can meet us right in the middle of our busy lives to help, guide, and speak to us through prayer. I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical teaching and encouragement on how you can make prayer a natural and consistent part of your everyday life. I promise it won't require hiking a mountain, but you just might develop the faith to move one. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.